Whether you like it or not, you have influence. How will you use yours? That and more with our friend Paul Tenhaken. It's time for a mandate. And welcome to another Mandate. My name is Joe Obermuller. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Mr. Ben Krush. What's up, everybody? Good to be with you again, Mr. Ben. Good to be with you, Joba Mueller. Hey, we are uh, kicking off season two. This is an exciting day, my friend. Very exciting. We we have ended season one. We had enough people interested that we could even have a season two. <laughs> That's right. And we are rocking it with an amazing guest with some awesome influence, the mayor of our city, Sioux Falls, Mr. Paul Tenhaken. Hey, Welcome. guys. Hey, thanks, thanks for, for having me. Thanks for being here. This is really cool. Yeah, when, when I got an email from you that said we're going to be on a podcast called Mandate, we were like voting on a mask mandate in our city, and it, I just it was too soon. I'm like, I can't do anything that has to do with mandate right now. <laughs> so I'm glad this is Manspace Date and not... <laughs> Mandate. Yeah, right. yeah, I understand. I, that, that's PTSD whenever I hear that word right now. That so. was unfortunate timing. <laughs> that was unfortunate timing. That's really funny. That is exactly when we asked you. That is. And I'm like, no, you. unless you rename the show, I'm not doing this. <laughs> well, you know, we're just going to dive right in because there's so many things I want to talk about with you and we're not going to have nearly enough time. But, uh, you know, one of the things you carry with you in your role, and I think all of us carry in whatever role we have, is is influence and when did you realize that you had it when did you realize mm -hmm. that oh i there are people who are watching and i actually have some influence over over my world mm, that's when a great that? question man well i think you mentioned it a little bit there but every, you know everybody has influence whether it's positive or negative um you know we all have some level of influence but i remember in, in high school um i just always was 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 a little bit of a class clown. I'll just be honest with you. And class clowns by nature tend to have a little bit of influence. People are always kind of watching them. All right. What's Paul going to say? What's he going to do? Uh, is he going to chuck that eraser? You know, whatever is, is going to happen. And I started to realize then already that it's, it's like, okay, I can, I can influence some people around me for good or bad. And how I use this is going to be uh, kind of critical. And I went to a Christian high school, a small Christian high school, and uh, if it wasn't for the influence of the, those around me, quite honestly, I had some real good friends that um, kind of kept me out of the ditch because I think I could have also been easily influenced to do some stupid things as a teen. But luckily, I was surrounded by some good folks that, that kept me on the straight and narrow. So influence certainly goes goes both ways. That's true. And so... Uh... When did you, outside of high school and, and realizing that, what was the first uh, sort of um, more professional gig or something where you, where you started to utilize that and, and take advantage of that? Well, the first time, um, you know, as you asked me this question, and for your listeners, I mean, I haven't got any of these questions in advance, so what you're getting is just my, my first thought. My first thought that pops in the mind when you say that is I took a job uh, at an organization, and I was hired by... Uh, a great guy, his name was Mark, and Mark hired me for this marketing director position. And I remember Mark um, noticing something in me, and he, he kind of fast-tracked me a little bit in, in terms of some promotions in the organization. And I, and I noticed that, um, that I was really young, 
and I was getting, it was kind of climbing the ladder a little. And I got to the point where I was, I was managing people who most of whom were older than me. And I was, I was younger and I'm like, okay, he's noticed something in me that I, apparently I have, and I got to figure out how to harness this. So that influence, you know, when you actually have people under your care, whether it's your children or whether it's, you know, colleagues or coworkers, when you first really notice that you're like, holy crap, I'm in charge of some people here and they're counting on me. Um, that was kind of an aha moment for me and realized that that influence in the way I show up to work and the way I act and uh, the attitude that I bring each morning, it's super contagious because now I have, you know, at that time, maybe six, eight people, you know, reporting to me and I need to figure out how I use this influence positively to make their lives better, not just as employees, but as better people. And that kind of just springboarded onto my, my philosophy in life as it carried through to this day is like, what? what are people saying about me when I leave the room? What sort of influence am I leaving behind when I've had an interaction with someone? And uh, there's certainly those people in your life that, you know, when you come across them and you spend a couple minutes with them and they leave, you're like, man, I, I don't care if I ever run into that person again. And how do you not become that person? What do you have to do? Because no one wants to be that person. Then there's other people that you run into and like, man, I really want to unpack that guy. He seems incredible, and I've only spent five minutes with him, and I just want to get... I had someone this week that I, I had that situation with where I followed up with him, and we had another coffee because I'm like, there's something in you, man, that I just got to I just gotta get to. And my, my one friend once described it as being a, a world-class people noticer. Like, you know, it's, there's sometimes you can walk in a room and there's 20 people, but there's one person you just notice. I'm like, there's something about that guy, just the way he's carrying himself, the way he's having a conversation, the way he's smiling, looking at people, I'm, I'm noticing it. I want to get to know that guy. And you all know that. I mean, there's just, you, when you become a good people noticer, um, it's a really hard skill to acquire, but it really can benefit you, you know, if you use it correctly. Very good. So, Paul, you, you're talking about your life and business. Mm-hmm. So, you had some success uh, in the business world, um, well known, uh, at least in these parts. How could you take, why did you take that influence from being wildly successful in the area of business into doing a, a, essentially a civic job? Yeah, greasy politics. I mean, you call it what it is. Sure. Greasy politician. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, man? Um, God has given us all a mission field, you know, and your mission field may be uh, as a police officer. And the 20, 30, 50 people you're going to interact with that day, that's your mission field that day. It may be as a pastor. It may be as a school teacher. And you turn over that mission field every year and you get a new classroom of kids. For me, my mission field was 35 employees at the time and and, uh, loved serving them, loved pouring into them. And it was just really put on my heart to um, expand that mission field. And a good way uh, to do that is to Look at how can you serve others before self. And in the business world, you know, you obviously have a chance to influence people and serve people through your role as a manager or an owner or whatever, but you're still trying to make bucks. You're still trying to, you know, chase the dollar, which I was doing. And in some cases that that had become a little bit of an idol where you're chasing financial success and it's the, the, the more success you have, kind of the hollower it becomes, quite honestly, is how it felt for me. And where I really felt my cup filled was when I could just serve people and help people. 
Um, and I'm like, man, where can I kind of humble myself, be humbled and serve people more? Well, it's, it's, it's in public service and it's called public service for a reason. I mean, one, it's very public. There's nothing you can do without everybody knowing. And it is absolutely service. And this year has really shown that. And so, um, that was kind of an epiphany I had that God was laying on my heart to run for office. And at, at one point it, it felt like he wanted me to run for office. Maybe he didn't want me to win, but he was calling me to run. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to be faithful to this call. I'm going to run. Uh, I'm probably going to lose. Uh, and then I will do whatever's next. So I ran and uh, won. And I'm now three years in office as the mayor and uh, still trying to serve each day in this role, noticing people and trying to serve people you know, the best I can. It's amazing to think about that. In, in three years, you have had your share of crisis management, my friend. Yeah. I mean, almost day one. Yeah. We were, we were dealing with the weather uh, crisis in, when was that, 20... 2018. So May of 2018 was when I was elected. And uh, you know what's funny, you guys, is the, the, my inauguration, you know, you put your hand in the Bible, get sworn in, and the media's there. And I got done, and the first question... The reporter asked me, "Is I said, uh, Mayor, now that you're sworn in, what's your plan to handle the emerald ash borer response? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't even, well, there's there's a bug that's going to like kill all of our ash trees in the community. It was just found today. I'm like, oh my goodness, can I like enjoy this moment for like 30 seconds? You already want me to handle ash. And it just... That ash borer was indicative to like we had floods then and then we had tornadoes and we've had social unrest issues and we've had the pandemic. And and quite honestly, one of the hardest things to manage has just been the political chasm in the country right now and the political divisiveness. So trying to manage through all those disasters in a country that doesn't want to talk to each other much anymore um, it's just, it's been a grind, man. It's been a real, real grind these first three years. No doubt. You, you and so many other leaders have been on our hearts, uh, this whole time as we, as we watch you courageously navigate all of these issues. And I wonder how you keep your head on straight. What are, what are some strategies that you have to remind yourself of the mission field, uh, especially on the days when you go home and, and you're like, wait, really? Was I supposed to do this? <laughs> I'm not sure I was supposed to do this. You know what, Joe, that's, God calls us to hard stuff. And sometimes we think that when you found a career or a, or a, a job that you love and it's easy and you're making good money, that that's your calling. And quite honestly, that's probably not your calling. You should be uncomfortable. It should be hard. It should be challenging you. You should be questioning your own faith, questioning people around you, questioning yourself. That's how you really grow as a person. So I've looked at these past few years as, just how it's been a great, you know, Dale Carnegie leadership course that I've been through for three years. I've learned so much about myself, man, stuff that I never knew about myself. My, my skin is so thick and uh, just having to deal with some of the challenges that we've gone through and the resiliency that you have to have in order to be in this chair right now has just been, um, it's been really fun because I feel like God is still equipping me for something. I don't know what's after this. But it's great to to take the challenges of the day, and you can either take a woe is me attitude, which quite honestly, a lot of people have had this past year. Oh, look at me, my prom was canceled, or I can't go in the office, or we sport, we put our identity in sports and all these things, and all this stuff's canceled. People lost their identity. Well, you can you can take this woe is me attitude, or you can look at it as 
God, thank you for this trial, man, because I'm going to be tougher from this. I'm going to learn a lot about myself from this, and I'm going to learn how to be more resilient as a result. So how I've dealt with this this past year, I've leaned into my faith super strong. I got an incredible wife, man, uh, who our marriages come out, you know, forged through the fire this last year. I mean, she's been my, my, my ally. I'm also just a big proponent of physical health, physical fitness, taking care of your body. God gives us one body. Your body's tied to your mind and your mental health. So spiritual, physical, and then for me, emotional with my wife, touching on all three of those and making sure they're taken care of has been really, really important. So I want to go into that, Paul. I appreciate you bringing that up. So you are in a job that is front page news all the time, and you're either getting accolades which is the fun part, or you're getting beat up. It's really difficult, especially for us as men and probably some of our listeners, to not bring some of that stuff home, right? It's easy to bring home the trophy, but what happens when we bring home the big fat turd? Mm-hmm. And we bring that and we put it on our wife's lap and be like, here, you deal with it because can't deal with it anymore. Mm-hmm. What does that discussion over the dinner table look like? And you have kids too, so, right? So you know there's an audience there watching everything that you're doing. Mm-hmm which is the real audience that you're called to serve. You know, Ben, um, you would think that would be more of a challenge, but somehow I've God has given me this extra kind of coat of armor through this season where I really don't get offended much <laughs> anymore. Yeah. And so things that should offend me and I should be ticked off about, I just don't find myself bringing them home. And, and, I read a book, and I'm going to forget the author, but the book's called Unoffendable. And basically, the book talks about, and I had to read this this past year, because it talks about if you're offended, that's a choice you made to be offended. And you're giving that person rent-free space in your head to you know mess with you. And I've just chosen not to be offended. And I have to also remind myself that you know, hurt people hurt people. And it's been a hard year for a lot of people. So it's not... It's not my place to judge why they're so angry. I mean, they're manifesting that anger maybe at me, but they're not mad at me. They're mad because, you know, the kids homeschooled and it's not going well and their church softball league got canceled for the year and they're ticked about it or, you know, whatever. Their grandmother died from COVID. And as a government leader, you in this this time, you become the, the fall guy for what's happening. Your policies are wrong. Or you're not doing this. You're not doing this enough. Or you're doing this too much. And so I've just kind of chosen, it's like, okay, I'm not going to be offended by this. There's no good answer. There's no right or wrong answer in this time. And I'm going to not take this stuff home because, and if I run for reelection, I'll have five more years in this chair. In five years, I'll be done, but I'll still be a dad. I'll still be a husband. I'll still be a Christian. And I don't want to sacrifice those things in the, in the short term just to be, a, you know, an incredible mayor for five years. And so those are the relationships that really I have to keep front and center because those are the ones that are going to last, not as a public official. So let's go a step further then. Instead of the the tough parts of your job, maybe tough is actually the word I want to get to, the challenging part, like the stuff that you're embracing as a challenge. You're saying, I'm going to take this on because mm-hmm. I know I'm called to do this. You probably have a sounding board that you go off of, right? You have people in your relational world, or even in your administration that you go to. How about bringing that stuff home? Are you using your wife as a, as a sounding board or as a mirror? And how does that conversation go? Absolutely. I mean, in, in any, 
any uh, part of life, whether you're a man, woman, old, young, you need a cabinet of, of guys, gals around you that just know the stripped down version of you. So it's like, listen, I'm not Paul the mayor to you. I'm Paul the broken down dude right now that I need some advice. And I have a, a kind of a core group of folks that, you know, I was I was with way before they knew me as a mayor. I'm just a guy and they can they have the authority uh, and the permission to tell me exactly what they think. And I love that because in this job, so many people are yes people. They tell you what what they think you want to hear. And it's like, I need, I need just some brutal honesty. And they'll be like, Paul, you're screwed up. You sound like a jerk right there. You know, whatever it is. And my wife's probably the best at that <laughs> as, as they can be, you know, but my wife is one of the few people, you know, our spouses know us better than anyone. And, um, they also can, they can relate to our situations because they know all the intricate details. Not a lot of people know what it's like to be a mayor and a father of three you know, and a, and a husband. So there's not many people I take advice from who don't have that experience. Cause like, you don't know, my wife knows, and my wife is an, an incredible ally, but she also will tell me when, uh, you know, I need to course correct, or I need to approach things differently. Um, and so you see me on the outside and on the paper, in the paper and all this stuff, but behind me is an incredible, incredible woman. And you, here's what I really want to point out, especially to our listeners is you give her permission to do that. Totally. Which I think is an obtuse thing to do. And a lot of us, especially, I see this a lot in management when you see companies who a, a manager will say, hey, feel free to push back on me, Ben. If you think this is a different direction, we should go. And then you push back. And then like, well, they didn't really want you to push back. They wanted to say that you could because that's the popular you know, leadership thing to say. Right. So to say it and really mean it is one thing. Uh, to say it just as lip service is another. Right. That word. That word is just just smacks of that. Right. Totally. G- give me a little pushback on that. Yeah. If you do. I love that. So I. You know what? Here's the deal. I had a meeting this week. It drove me crazy. I had a meeting with some of my senior leaders in the city. God, I hope they don't listen to this. They will. They will. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's all over. And 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 we we're talking about a process we had to follow. And I just I threw out a process for something I wanted to do. And I said, you guys need to tell me if you think I'm, I'm uh, you know, coming out of left field in this. No, no, sounds good. Hung up the, it was a Zoom call, got done. Three of the people in the meeting, there was five of us, all called me separately and said, hey, I wanted to talk to you. I think we may need to rethink about, and like, why didn't you, we were just in the meeting. I asked for the, well, I didn't know if you really wanted it. I'm like, I want it. That's why I asked, man. And now I've had three phone calls on this and it's wasted all this time when we were all together and you were all apparently say, thinking the same thing. So it was, it was just a comical moment. And I said, you have going forward, you have permission. You have permission to call me on the carpet and shoot me down and tell me I'm wrong. Please that, do that. That's an amazing s- skill that does not come naturally for, for a lot of people to, to really actually mean that because what's underneath that is a level of confidence and a level of awareness that that lets you know that you need it right. and that you don't have to carry this facade of knowing everything about everything, you know, and, and always, I, I have to make the decision because it's my job. You know what I mean? Right. That's true for all of us in all of our industries where having that, that core group of people you can trust and talk to is really important. So a- absolutely. I'm curious to know what, if you can elaborate on one of these things, what, what's a time where that has been crucial for you that you've had that core group of people with you. This could be as, as mayor or as a, as a business leader. Or... 
Whatever. Well, I'll tell you, it's it's right now. It's this season of life because, you know, the, the city of Sioux Falls has a $600 million budget, cover 80 square miles. We've got 1,300 employees, three collective bargaining units. Um, there's just a lot of stuff I know nothing about, okay? I know nothing about wastewater. I know nothing about community policing. I know nothing about, you know, 5G small cell deployment. I know a little bit about that, but the, the point being, I, I'm dumb in a lot of stuff. And you have to lean into these experts. And people like say, well, you're the mayor. You should know this stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm just I'm just kind of figurehead, actually. Here's your expert. It's this guy in public works. It's this lady over here, my chief of staff. She's she's incredible. And I turn to her a lot. And as a leader, you you always need to, you know, accept blame and, and deflect praise, you know. And that's another skill in all this is you you then when you when you get an accolade for something done right and be like, I had nothing to do with this wastewater project. That's this guy. And I'm going to deflect all the praise there. When it goes wrong, you say, yep, that was on my watch. Absolutely. And I need to take care of that. And uh, that's a lesson I've learned this past year, too, is uh, really past year and a half based on some incidences. When something goes wrong, the buck stops at the top, whether you have something to do with it or not. And you see this a lot right now with some of the policing tensions in our company, in our country. When there's a, uh, a homicide that happens or an officer involved shooting, a lot of times the chief of police gets fired or resigns. The chief had nothing to do with that, but they have to accept the blame for the department uh, even though it was maybe the the fault of someone else, and so it's a hard part of leadership is realizing that you you can't deflect those those that blame. You have to you have to accept that. I think that is an absolutely amazing leadership tactic that I think a lot of people can look at and will look at and be like, yeah, I think that that's pretty much a social norm. But who's doing it? Who's going to actually doing do it? it? It's easy to you know that's what the book tells you to do. You know you know that's what you're supposed to do. But when the rubber hits the road. You know, and we we had an incident, you know, we talked about the tornadoes at the opening. We had an incident with those tornadoes when our tornado alarms didn't go off in this community. That's right. And it's a long story on why they didn't go off. But bottom line, it was a miscommunication in our dispatch center between dispatch and the National Weather Service. And uh, we basically hit the F-10 key and should have hit the F-9 key, you know. And um, I had to go out and face the media. And... First question they ask is, uh, Mayor, do you know if there's any casualties? This was still five in the morning. Sun hadn't come up. Tornadoes came through overnight. And do you know if there's any casualties as a result of the uh, the sirens not going off? And I, you know, at that moment, I have to decide. Okay, do I deflect the blame? Meaning, well, you got to know the mayor doesn't set off the sirens. Okay, that's dispatch center. I got to look into it. Or do I say they didn't go off? You're right, and I'm in charge of the dispatch and so as my fault we're going to look in or fix it well in that moment i did the latter i said listen i'm your throat to choke on this and just owned it and we figured it out luckily we didn't have any casualties as a result but i knew if i got up there and kind of skirted around it with the media they're just it's just going to make it worse it's like dude own it paul even though you you know you weren't in dispatch hitting the buttons you got to own the problem and in essence, give cover to your guys and your team that was working an incredibly hard night too, responding to hundreds and hundreds of calls as a result of that natural disaster. That is that is amazing, and it really is a call to really great leadership. I currently work for a leader, and we work in security, and that stuff is technology. 
and it all has a shelf life. And if that stuff goes off, even though we serviced it and we installed it perfectly, he always says, you talk to that customer and you don't blame it on service. You don't blame it on technology. You don't blame it on conversion as a whole. You own it. Yeah. You tell them that you were wrong. And you, Every get, time. you get way more points with people than if you try and skirt around it. I mean, they sniff that out. Yeah. But but if you just own the problem, own the issue, you're going to get so much credibility with, with that other party um, and a lot of respect as a result. Very well, good. but it has to be genuine. Yeah. I mean, you, oh, you, yeah. You, it can't be just like a, a play. If I say this, then everyone will like me. You right. know, you really have to be- believe it. And I think, I think both of the examples you just gave is that where you, you say that you really are genuine about it. And, and I think about that from the perspective of the employee or whoever is, is there that just saw you stand up for him and, and take the hit for him, mm-hmm. man, that's, that's powerful stuff. Yeah. And that's how, that's how you, um, you know, try and build a culture of trust in an organization where you have to build up that relational capital with your employees. Cause at some point you're going to need them to, to, to come to your aid. Right. And, uh, if they think you don't have their back, they're not going to have yours. And, uh, that's just, it's kind of culture building stuff. And that culture and that trust is just built, you know, two, 2% at a time. It's not one instance. It's not one issue, but they have to see a demonstrable track record of kind of doing the right thing for your team. That I think that's a theme for our, all, our city, our country, our region, uh, this relational capital thing. I think, uh, that's a task that we have to mm-hmm. overcome. Um, and you're right. That's a, those are things that we make deposits toward. So how do you do that in your position on a day-to-day basis? How do you make those relational deposits? Well, you know, I, I always think it's very important for leaders to, uh, to model the way of what they want to see in their team members. So, um, I think of Mayo Clinic and I was talking to someone the other day about them and I may get this kind of wrong, but this, the CEO of Mayo Clinic, I think it's in the bylaws or something that the CEO has to do rounds or has to be on the clinic floor so many hours a month or something. It's, it's a requirement. The CEO of the largest healthcare system still has to be in the trenches. So that CEO is using the EMR and, you know, work in a clinic and can experience some of the challenges that maybe the frontline staff has. I think it's very important for a leader, no matter how high you are, to stick it down and get your hands dirty and work with your team and let them know that um, just because your titles are a little different or your salary bands are different, you're, no one's too good to, to take the trash out, right? And uh, so for me personally, man, one of my favorite things to do is to go around the city and, you know, fill potholes with the team or do police ride-alongs or, you know, go hang out with some of our parks team members and just try and be relatable so that they don't see you as a mayor, but they see you just uh, as a colleague, just my coworker. Um, he's just a guy in a different building, but just like me, he's got three kids that need to get to bed tonight. He's got homework to do with them, uh, and probably one's going to fight him on taking a bath. And it's like, I'm going through the same stuff you guys are uh, and the same challenges you are in life. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change courses a little bit, not because what you're, everything you're saying is gold. I want to, I want to change, I want to flip the story and say, you are constantly on the front page, but because of where you sit, you likely have some knowledge of what's on the back page or what's not being stated. Are there any stories that come to mind of people 
in Sioux Falls, either you work with or, or you just have access to the, so essentially the story that's not being told that should be told. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a great question. Uh, and again, didn't get these in advance. So I'm thinking on the fly, but the first thing that comes to me, you guys is, um, what are, what are police officers and law enforcement officers do and see and experience on a daily basis that the public never sees. So unfortunately, we're in a culture right now where the only thing people see on the news is missteps um, in PD, and they're few and far between. But what they don't see is the hundreds and thousands of incredible interactions that law enforcement have with people in the community on a daily basis. But that's not news, and that doesn't generate clicks. And I did a ride along with a cop this year, and uh, we had a disorderly guy at a at a hotel, and um, uh, he was disturbing the property and all this, and and he spit right in this cop's face, man, and that cop wiped it off and got some hand sanity and continued to treat the guy with respect, and didn't cuss at him and didn't, and I'm like, how did you just keep your calm through a man spitting in your face? And he's like, it's just part of the job, man. And those stories, we never see them. You never see those. And those happen daily, nightly in this community, hundreds of times a month. We, we're having situations like that. And I wish more of those would get covered on how incredible uh, our public safety officials are in this community because they're, they're really, really great. And there's a reason that in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, we don't have uh, tensions with public safety. We don't have... Um, officer-involved shootings that are proven to be unprovoked or we just have a great community. We have a strong community. We have a strong culture of excellence in our law enforcement that is fair um, but is also compassionate and uh, it's special. And I say that because I'm on the inside and I see these guys and and gals and they're incredible. I had a student this morning in class uh, talk about how she wants to start a good news channel, like a good news network. And I was, and I said, you know what? I think every city in America needs a local good news channel. Totally. And I said, what's stopping you from doing that? Totally. And, and, and she fell silent. I don't think she had ever thought that she could actually do that. And I think that she ought People to. are hungry for it. Hungry for good news. Absolutely. Yeah, they really are. Mm-hmm. So you were talking earlier about, uh, you know, um, feeling called into this service and, and that really guides your decision making and... Um, and your faith is really important to you. And so I have a similar question to how, how do you, what, what are the little deposits you make in your relational world? What are the deposits that you make in your, in your faith walk? Well, um, great question. And I will say that, the, you know, the challenge of, of 2020 has caused me to need to lean into the Lord more than ever before. And so I mentioned physical health and, and spiritual health. So if I don't get up in the morning and work out, so I get up 4.30 to 5, somewhere in there, and work out, and then I do devotions right after that, and then about 6.30 is when my kids are rolling out of bed. So if I don't get out of bed at 4.35 to work out, I typically will sleep till 6.30, and now I've just missed the physical and the spiritual parts of my day for a few extra winks. And so I, I really try so hard to get out of bed every day at that time and spend time in the Word every morning. And... You know, really specifically, if you want to know what that looks like for me, I use the Bible app. I use the Bible app every morning. I go through little plans in the Bible app. Uh, I spend some time in prayer uh, every morning. And um, 
it's funny because uh, sometimes you don't remember, even this morning, I'm not sure what I read this morning, but I know I needed it. And it's kind of like, I can't even tell you what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I know I needed it to get me through that day. And I need that like spiritual breakfast every morning. I may not remember it all the time, but I know I needed it to set my day on the right foot. So for me, starting my day with scripture uh, is so important. Um, Senator John Thune, who I think very highly of, he talks about, um, you know, first word, last word. You know, first word uh, of the day be the Lord's, last word of the day be the Lord's, starting and ending your day, bookending it with scripture. I'm not that good yet. I'm, a, you know, starting the day guy because uh, I got a lot of kid stuff at night, but uh uh, but that's really important to me is being spiritually fed in the morning with the word. Yeah, I, I, I would think with your view on the city, you know, you have this real, you have this bird's eye view on our city and uh, and recognizing each day as your mission field and what God's doing. How, how do you see God working in our city? What are some things that you uh, have seen? I, I um, well, first off, there's uh a song by Chris Tomlin called God of the City. Greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in the city. You know that song? Oh, yeah. It's powerful, man. I play that song, and I think of that, um, you know, when I'm when I'm driving to work, and I, I kind of crank that song up because I see God at work in this city a lot. I see um, what our church community is doing in terms of unity, and what I mean by that is we haven't had a lot of unity in our church community historically. And I'm starting to see churches come together for the good of the city. So they're breaking down some of those fiefdoms and silos that you sometimes see in, in our faith community. And they're starting to work together a lot more for the greater good of the of, of our community. I, I saw that this past year with the Corona Help SF Fund. I mean, churches set that up. And the churches were delivering groceries and, and, and laundry detergent and toiletries to people who couldn't get out of their house. Uh, we raised three and a half million bucks this year to keep people housed in apartments and pay their rents through the One Sioux Falls Fund, through the goodness of this community. I mean, there are communities five times our size that couldn't touch that number this past year. They'd rely on the government to do it. Well, we said, let's set up a fund, man. And people gave to it. And uh, we had three and a half million bucks and we kept... Uh, I think the last count, we had over 4,700 different families that dipped into that fund to pay their rent or pay their utilities when they were out of work during COVID. And it's like when you have a community that, that gets involved and gives that much uh, and we're only 200,000 people, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty encouraging. That's got to be so inspiring to see that unfold uh, and, and be able to have that view of, of the city like that. Uh, how about for your... Um for your family and and uh, you mentioned you know relying on the lord there too how have you seen that in your own in your own family you know that's a great question too uh in in my family um in some ways i feel that i've let them down spiritually if i'm being just candid with you guys where my focus in the job sometimes is spent on 200,000 people and i forget the four you know, that are at home. Not that I ignore them or, but I'm so physically and, and kind of emotionally spent when I get home that I'm, I'm, I'm present, but I'm not present, present, you know? And, uh, I have to sometimes use the, tell myself the phrase, be here now. Someone told me that one's like, okay, Paul, be here now, put that phone down, 
uh, forget about what happened today. Just be here now. You got an hour with these kids before they go to bed. And so um, whether that's sharing Bible versus helping my kids memorize scripture for school, um, I've started to get into the Bible app with my oldest daughter, who's 15, trying to share devotions together that we can do together, but not physically together. It's not cool to sit down with your dad and read a devotion, but if we each do it separately, uh, do the same one. So trying to model the way for what I want my kids to, uh, you know, start to adopt in terms of their beliefs and their behavior patterns with, with spending time with the Lord. Man, so, that's true for all of us, isn't it, Ben? I mean, that, that being physically present and, but, but mentally somewhere else, I, that, I mean, I got to work through that. My wife helps me with that. She'll, she'll kind of bring me back to, yeah. to the table. <laughs> and I love that because it reminds me to, to do what you said. Just, okay, I'm, in, I'm here right now and I need to be here right now. So, Paul, if we go a little bit further on that, I think that's the first thing that goes away when you take public office. You put on that crown, you put on that new hat, and then they, they keep putting hats on top of you. And the one hat that's always been there is husband mm-hmm. and dad. Mm-hmm. How do you create work-life balance? Other than be here now, right? That's an awesome strategy, right? And that, that anyone can take that on. Are there, do you have to, you know, some, some guys that I are in my relational world have to literally put it into their work schedule. Like I'm going to be here for this hour. I'm going to tell my wife my, and I'm telling my kids I'm going to be here for this hour. Mm-hmm. And that's tactical. Yeah. How do you find work-life balance? I can't even imagine the schedule that you have. Well, it's very hard. Uh, and it's probably one of the most surprising and overwhelming things of the job when I started is the number of schedule requests you get a week. Um, now with with COVID kind of uh, fading away, I probably get you know 20 to 30 different requests a week of stuff to be at or appointments to be at or whatever. Um and so I do a couple things. One thing I do very tactically is I got screen time on my own phone and I limit how much time I can be on social media, okay? Because I can, I can get lost in Twitter just scrolling the news and catching up on State of the Union and all this. I just get lost in that. So I set screen time on there. But I also make a commitment that you will never see me in the mayor's office past 5 o'clock. I'm never there past 5 o'clock. I'm not married to that office. Uh, I, I get out of there and I get home. And... There's uh, a list of four or five guys that I use when I do some talks and I read off these names to the group and I say, hey, does anyone know what these names have in common, the the common thread here? And no one ever knows. And um, I only do this when I'm in Sioux Falls. And and while I I tell people, well, these are all the five mayors in the city of Sioux Falls in the last 75 years. And no one in the room has ever heard of any of these guys. And I, and I said, so, so if you think you're a big deal and you think, you know, your work is super important and more important than your family, I'm like, you know, in 10 years, they're going to be talking about that 10 Hocken or what this guy with a weird Dutch name and the people will forget. So if you're putting your identity in the, in your work and your career, don't that, that you're going to be sorely disappointed. Your identity uh, is in being a man of faith, a husband and a father. Those are top priorities. So if you just use that lens every day, work will quickly become a lot lower on your priority list. And then tactically, you got to delegate. If you think you got to, you know, I talked about that earlier, you got a great team. You got to just delegate stuff, stuff that comes your way. Say, hey, love it. This is a great initiative. It's not in my lane or it's not a priority for me. 
You know, I love that you want to pursue this tree planting initiative, you know, on the west side of town. Great. Raise some money. Go do it. I can't get involved with it right now because it's not, it's not something we can burn time on. Um, saying no a lot. And saying yes to your family. Essentially, that's the other flip of that coin, right? Saying no yeah. and saying yes to, you know, 15-year-old comes home, girl, she finally does want to sit down and watch some Netflix with dad. Yes, I'm going to do Dude, that. She did that this week. She came into my room. My wife and I are in there and... She stood around and wouldn't leave. And uh, I'm like, this is awesome. She's just like hanging in there, just talking with us. And it, 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 I don't, it was just weird because she normally doesn't do that. And uh, it just made me feel really good. Absolutely, it does. I knew this would happen. We're, uh, we're running out of time here. So I want to ask one more question. And it has to do with looking ahead. You know, we, I just love having something to look forward to and a vision and a direction of where I want to go. And so what's yours, Paul? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to post-COVID life, right? As many people are. And for, for those of you listening that are from Sioux Falls, South Dakota in this area, it kind of feels like we're nearly there. Um, but uh, I'm also looking forward to the next three or four years in the city because um, there's a lot of cool initiatives breaking loose, specifically if you love our downtown, our downtown is poised for some huge things. We have, between some public and private sector investments, probably three, $400 million worth of work that's going to be going into our downtown in the next three or four years, and you won't recognize it. And uh, some of the stuff we can talk about, some of the stuff we can't, but there's a lot of eyeballs on Sioux Falls, South Dakota right now. Um, there's a lot of families moving here. There's a lot of businesses wanting to come here because of how we've weathered the pandemic, because of the strong fiscal health of the city. I, and I say this very humbly because a lot of this was done prior to me. I just inherited this Lamborghini and I'm not supposed to crash it, basically, <laughs> is, is what I'm trying to do because the city's been in great shape for a long time and that's continuing. And so it's going to be an exciting time in Sioux Falls with the growth that we're going to see. And so, uh, so buckle in. And if you're a lover of cool downtowns and eateries and vibes and culture and arts and quality of life and you're going to love it here. If I didn't already live in Sioux Falls, I would I would now pack my bags. Pack it up. That's right. Uh, Paul, thanks a lot for being here today. This was really awesome to get to chat with you, knowing how packed your schedule is. So we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, what a treat. Uh, Paul, where can people find you? Where do you want people to find you? Well, not at my house would be great, but uh, <laughs> online. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Paulton Haken, Instagram, at Paulton Haken. Uh, paultonhaken.com if you want to contribute to my re-election campaign. I'm kidding, guys. Sorry. Hey, he uh, saved that till the last 30 <laughs> seconds. You heard it here first on Mandate. <laughs> That's right. Oh, mercy. Ben, uh, ben, I know folks are going to want to reach out to us and chat with us about this episode and all yep. sorts of other things. How can they do that? Absolutely. So find us. Uh, you can send us a remarks at Gmail. So mandate.pod at gmail.com. You can also find us on the Insta at mandate pod and now you can find us on twitter at podcast mandate fabulous thanks everybody for being with us we'll see you next time on mandate